I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed on mats. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. It's your daily dose of the Ensigns podcast. Welcome back, guys. Today, we have a conversation with Sean Buckles, who is a local business owner here in Colorado Springs. A great story of adventure and sort of how that unfolds in his walk into and out of the military as a father and as a business owner. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. And uh, here we go. So, uh, Sean, Sean Valjean, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Jean Valjean. Thank you. It's great to be here. There's so many different directions to go in this conversation. I've yeah. been really looking forward to having the uh, just some extended time talking together. I'm kind of curious where, for the most part, sort of the bottom of our audience uh, is there actually. Many of them, I know you're out there, are substantially younger than this, so I nod to you guys. But a lot, <laughs> but sort of 18 when we look at that uh, sort of targeted millennial demographic. Sure. So 18 years old, where were you and what were you doing? Uh, failing high school almost. Um, I had to take a bowling correspondence course to graduate high school because um, I didn't want to take a gym class, which is funny because I move on to be in the military and I always wanted to be in the military. So I don't know, just gym class didn't do it for me, you know? So um, they told me you wouldn't graduate high school uh, if you didn't have a gym class. I said, that's BS. And they said, no, it's not. You won't walk this summer. Okay, cool. Well, what do I have to do? So I had a couple weeks left, and I, I was taking this dumb bowling correspondence course. Um, I was dating my wife now. Uh, we were dating all through high school, so I would take her bowling on dates. Uh, that's that's me at 18, um, just trying to get through high school. I always knew I wanted to be in the military. Uh, it was something that was in my heart. Um, my dad did 24 years. My older brother was currently active duty. It was just a long line of history. My grandfather did 30 years. I mean, there's so many people in our family that did time in the service. I don't know, I was always inspired by my dad and wearing wearing BDUs, you know, growing up, looking at him like that. So I just knew it was something I would do. College wasn't going to be for me. It is these days. I like, I like, you know, learning now. But back then, like academic stuff was was not me. I was more the hands-on, outdoor, exploring, all that stuff. So I was a mechanic. Uh, I had a, an internship with a dealership in Phoenix, Arizona. I got a lot of validation through a lot of that stuff, um, learning how to work on cars and being kind of the, the young guy that knew a lot about fixing X, Y, or Z. You know what I mean? I had a, a 1972 Chevy half-ton pickup that I was rebuilding and, and putting a big block into, you know? So that was me. Um, the mechanic kind of didn't really fit in with like the jock kind of thing or whatever. Well, neither does the bowling. Yeah. To be yeah. honest. Yeah, the bowling. The bowling was fun. I sucked at it, but it was fun. It was a good time. You are, you sound like the guy that I would have been intimidated by. You were manually competent, mili- <laughs> military bound. I was kind of a dork though. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't like the cool guy. I had a cool truck. That was it. Let's be honest. None of us were the cool guys in okay, high school. Okay, fair enough. Just, good. Good. You don't want to peak in high school. Sure. I know it's like <laughs> a dangerous trajectory. Sure. So I 
we went to school here in the springs. So yeah. like the high school is on a military base. So we're like yeah. very familiar with families coming and going. Sure. Um, it feels like I, from what I saw, pretty polar choices for most kids that were hmm. in military families. Mm-hmm. They were like the, the kids, they were just sick of it. Um, didn't want any part of it. We're trying to rebel in the ways they could. Sure. And then there's the, the kids are more like you at 18 who had the the draw to it because of their legacy. Yeah. There's always been something that you saw in your father and your sure. brother that made you totally want it. Like what was it? What was that calling out in you? Yeah. Um, I, I never want, I, well, let me start with this. My dad never pushed it on me ever. It was never like, you will be in the military. It was nothing like that ever. My parents were very supportive of anything I wanted to do, um, whether it was playing the trumpet or, you know, going hunting or passing on a hunt that season or whatever it was going to be, you know, they were very supportive. And I never felt pressured to have to be in the military. No matter what I wanted to do, they supported me really well. So mm-hmm. I will say that. I don't know what it was for me. I guess, you know, 9-11 had happened um, when I was a senior or a junior. I can't remember now. 9-11 happened. I remember watching it on TV. I was getting ready to go pick up Jenna for high school. I would pick her up on the way to school and we'd drive together. Um, I watched it on TV. I watched it unfold and I thought, this is unreal. This is, this is not actually happening. Um, but it was, it was happening. So I saw the first plane hit and then I, I left and got to her house and she was watching the news and we watched the other one hit. And so something in me was spurred as, as President Bush was kind of pushing and all this stuff was happening and the, the entire country was pissed, you know? Um, and so something else in me rose up to serve and to fight and to want to just do something about it. Right. Um, so I think that's the final thing that really pushed me in was just this, this eagerness and this urge to do something different, a little bit more elite, maybe, you know, I feel like that's always kind of been there to do something different, um, and to fight, you know, I was there at 18 for sure. Mm. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Actually knowing some of the story that's coming yeah. right away, that yeah. looks like, uh, a key theme. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. That's a, like a very, very similar story for Bart Hansen's okay. like son, um, sort of parallel there of at that age yeah. in that time. And what rises up is, um, a response and strength. Heck yeah. Toby Keith is making music about it. You know what I mean? Like it's the stuff is motivating. It was great. <laughs> but it, there was a complication for you because of this girlfriend. Uh, yeah. I think I'm, <laughs> yeah. something, a story of uh, how long between being married was yeah. there before you left for the military? Yeah, yeah. So I was two years ahead of her. So actually, if I go back a little bit, I was picking her up from her junior high when I was in high school. So I was kind of the nerd picking up the Whoa. the young kid. She was the cool kid getting picked up by the high schooler. I joined when she was a junior or a senior. I think it was her last year. I joined them. I finally joined the army. I tried college for a year. I graduated high school, kind of waiting on her to, to get out of school. We still dated a little bit off and on at the time. Um, just going through dumb kid stuff, you know what I mean? So I tried college, the automotive program in, in a college there in Arizona. It, again, it was not for me. I, I couldn't do it. I just, I wasn't made to just sit in a seat, not at that age. I was, and I was anxious to get in and do something. The war is all over the news now, you know? So I joined, I did basic training in my my uh, AIT or whatever, the the, the school training that, they, that you do. I was gone about five months. Um, I started off as a military police um, I liked it. I liked the idea of it. Uh, I didn't actually like what it ended up being, what I ended up getting to do. Uh, so I came home from, from basic training and, uh, I don't know, Jenna and I were hanging out one day and actually, let me go back. So I, I graduated, 
uh, basic training in AIT. I reported to my first unit in Washington State, and they said, you're deploying, uh, we're leaving in a month, you guys get two weeks of leave, go home, see your families, and you're, you're going to be in Iraq. So uh, part of me was excited, part of me was scared. Um, I knew that I had some choices to make. I knew that if me and Jenna didn't commit, it probably wouldn't happen. I, I couldn't expect her to just follow me around, right? And I knew I'd be gone at least six months in this deployment. So one day we're just sitting there talking, and uh, I was actually at a barbecue in my house, and I'm like, babe, we should just do this thing. Like, we're young and stupid. Let's get married, you know? And so we like, we did it. We said, okay, let's do it. Well, when do we do it? Uh, well, hold on. Let's get married tomorrow. And then she graduates high school the next day. And then I have to be back in Washington in my unit the day after that. So that's how it went down. Uh, we got married the day before she graduated high school. Her mom was super pissed. <laughs> um, uh, Probably justifiably so. Now I see why. I get it. At the <laughs> time, I didn't. I was I was an American soldier, man. Oh, you my know? gosh. Uh, so, so we tied the knot and uh, got married in our backyard and in my backyard. And uh, off we went to, to Washington State. Um, I got delayed by another two weeks. So we got about a month together. And then I deployed. She went back home to Arizona, and and it was awesome. You make like hazard duty pay, you get separation pay, you get all this money. I was a private, you know, so I think I came home with like ten grand in the bank. Talk about being set up financially, uh, which still even today has had had its good effects. Mm-hmm. Um, just not being in debt, not starting out in debt. When well, did you first jump out of an airplane? Yeah, <laughs> I had no aspirations to do that ever. Um, my dad did not do stuff like that. So I, I didn't even actually know what it was. I just knew I want to be in the army. I want to wear a uniform. That was it for me. It wasn't until my trip to Iraq, that first trip in 2003 to 2004, uh, I was there. I think that was OAF2 or something like that. But I got to see these kind of elite special forces guys driving around in, in you know, Hilux pickup trucks and, and different style Humvees and you know, beards and awesome looking weaponry. And I said, I want to do that. That's the kind of stuff I want to be a part of. So that's kind of where like, where I got inspired to look into what the special operations side had. Um, Didn't think I could do it. In fact, I knew I couldn't do it. That's what I accepted at the time anyways, that I wasn't made for that. Mm. I was inspired by it, but I didn't think I could do it. And then I find out you got to go to airborne school as part of that training. Um, So Anyways, long story short, I ended up trying out for Special Forces Assessment and Selection in 2005, and I made it. I made it through training. It's about a four-week suck fest. Kicks your ass big time. Uh, didn't think I could do it. Uh, found out on my birthday, I think I was 22 or 23 or something like that. I found out on my birthday that I was I was selected. It was about a 60% attrition rate, 50-60% attrition rate for that class in the summer in, in June in North Carolina. So I made it. I got selected. And all that was was to get you through the next, that was your acceptance to start two more years of training. Um, and so I knew I knew I had a long road coming, but uh, before the, they call it the Q course, before that starts, you got to go to airborne school because I was not airborne qualified. So I made my first jump, I think in 2005, 2006, something like that. Um, but it was static line. It was like 1,200 feet off the ground, hook up a cable, kind of dope on a rope, jump out, your parachute opens for you. You hopefully don't hit the ground too hard. Um, I have some scars to prove that, that it hurts. Uh, but yeah, that was my first. Like literal scars. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Right. Been been slightly impaled once. Uh, I broke my feet in selection. Uh, all kinds of injuries from from just active duty stuff. That Again, I never, I never thought I could do any of it. In fact, I remember sitting in selection. I was in the woods. I had broken my foot. I uh, broke a few bones in my right foot just on this trail. I had a lot of weight in my back and I fell. Uh, I knew I broke it. Um, it was swollen like crazy. I had to take the insoles out of my boots. I would take my boots off at night and my feet would just swell and swell and swell. And I'd have to 
finally get them on and kind of like cinch down the laces to get the swelling to go back down to just continue training the next day. Um, I still had about two plus weeks of training after I had broken my right foot. Uh, so overcompensating weight to the other side broke my left foot. So I ended up graduating with two, two broken feet from that course. The last part of that course is about a 20 plus mile uh, trek on foot with about 60, 70 pounds on your back. Um, Which you me, did with two broken feet. I did with two broken feet, yeah, that's right. Um, this isn't a metaphor that you're didn't, using for something else. No, uh-uh, not at all. I didn't think I could do it. Uh, I remember sitting one day in the woods, I said, God, okay, I'm broken. I hurt. I can't do this. I want to quit. But if you'll see me through, I'll keep walking. I don't know what this looks like. I'll just, I'll take one step after another, after another, if you'll see me through every day. Uh, and he did. He, he showed up and, and I passed everything I had to pass. I was a little slower than everybody else, but I did it. Uh, yeah, he showed up. It was great. So just because <laughs> this seems like a natural question, mm-hmm. I'm assuming instructors and whatnot can observe, observe that, oh, sure. his feet are broken, oh, yeah. but in this context, oh, yeah. we just see what happens. Okay, I'm not the only guy with a broken foot, you know? Like, everyone's hurting, everyone's broken. People are, some people, not everybody, but a lot of people are hurting and broken. A lot of people quit. They won't force you to quit unless it's really life limb or eyesight. Um, and so I did get asked several times, uh, do you want Doc to look at that? No, I don't. Just give me ibuprofen. Um, I'm going to continue until I can't. And I did. How many deployments did you have? Uh, not a lot, actually. Um, I did, once I finally got through all the, all the training and got to my unit here, here at uh, Fort Carson, Colorado, um, I only did one combat deployment with them. That was about an eight, eight or nine month trip. And then several other deployments to Eastern Europe and just kind of all over the place doing some really, really fun stuff, to be honest with you. It was quite, quite an adventure. Lots of training. They call it foreign internal defense. So just training of a lot of our ally forces. I uh, loved it. I loved teaching. I loved training, uh, exploring what Eastern Europe looks like, South Africa, um, all over the place. It was, it was really a good time. So I would venture most, if not all of our listeners have an experience of this kind. But I'm just curious, for the sake of our listeners and their a communal world. Yeah. When you learn that somebody has had uh, like a, an experience in the military or a deployment, or sure. are there questions that you, as someone who has been like down that road, ask, or are there like tips for people? Because I know you learn that even a friend of yours has got back from a deployment. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of typical questions, sure, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. don't think I'm the only one who kind of has this feeling of. How do we proceed with yeah. like me sort of learning what you're like now? Yeah. As, uh, do you have any tips in that area? Golly, man. Um, that's good. Okay, so so this is just me. I, I don't normally open up and talk about this stuff. I just don't. For me, this again, this is just my perspective. I feel like in order for me to maintain a level of humility that I'm at peace with, I just don't talk about stuff from my past because I feel like it's 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 elevating myself over whoever I'm talking to. Um, and so honestly, I haven't really shared a whole lot of this stuff, of the this election stuff, of what I did in the past. A couple of my staff that have been around long enough that have kind of been around been around us long enough to ask enough questions do know a lot about it, um, or a little bit about it anyway. So, so I'm not reluctant to share anything for the sake of like, oh, I'm a wounded, whatever. Like, uh, that's not me. It's more out of a humble heart of not, not wanting to exalt myself. So to answer your question about that, I'm wondering what... Uh, like, are you afraid to ask, how was war, or is that what you're getting at? Well, I think I would. That's sort of what I might ask. Yeah. But I kind of like you w- want to, but you're afraid to. Yeah. Or okay. wonder if, like, is this even? Because I know that I've actually been present when that's the question. Of, yeah. You know, 
and there's there's like an appropriate moment and it's yeah. like hey tell us like yeah so we're like but i wonder are there other things of like you know but that aren't maybe massive blanket ones yeah, of yeah, like yeah. you know because i i'll just show a card here and sure, go sure. part of the reason that i really want and grateful to spend some time on having kind of an elite military background is sure. uh, eventually like you still live a life like with a wild god mm-hmm. and yeah, and you good. actually have this capacity for adventure yeah. and for battle sure and for all of these things yeah. that continue after like a military career That's and good. it's easy to look at that and go like wow you know elite military like that is the absolute like peak how do you come out of that sure. and yet we know that i or i venture based on observing that people are like Walk it out, and actually, there is a holding place for that heart for adventure in life with yeah. God. But that's maybe, so. Sure, sure, if that's sure. the direction we're going. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, how do you ask about like people have a hard time coming back? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you? <laughs> so I guess I guess it depends on their level of relationship with somebody. You know what I mean? What what they're willing to open up, and I think that that that's just being sensitive to who they are. There is a lot of like PTSD type stuff going on for sure. I do think that people value just being asked. I think that people like sharing their heart and where they are, especially if you have a relationship with that person coming back from whatever they've come back from. Um, I don't suffer from any of that kind of stuff. I don't. God is too big for me to just <laughs> live in past stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, I've never, I've never had to deal with that kind of stuff. And so, for you to ask me something like, I'm not afraid to talk about it. For sure, let's talk about it. Whatever you want. I do know a couple of guys that do clam up a little bit, get a little fidgety in their chair. Now. I have a certain relationship with several of my active duty buddies that I can ask anything I need to or want to. And and in that context, it's easy for them to open up and talk about and end the conversation in tears sometimes, you know, because of loss and stuff like that. They won't necessarily share that kind of stuff when their wife is around or or with people they don't know. You know what I mean? I guess it's just being being in tune with, with who the person is and the context of the situation, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, like, I'm thinking about this in terms of anyone like we don't know we can't we can't ever know what someone's experience sure. is like sure whether it's military or yeah, civilian yeah, totally yeah Good. and yet there's something unique about the military because we have um certain assumptions we make and there's like at least a part of their story mm-hmm. that feels significant and feels like w- for those of us standing on the outside we yeah. feel very much on the outside of something yeah 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 though if we're honest we're standing on the outside of almost everyone else's experience yeah sure and so there's That's like good. there's a little bit of trepidation to ask what is your experience or yeah. how are you doing and these are questions you could literally ask anyone, anyone yeah but there's a certain like think intimidation blaine's name sure, yeah that's good the way you tread into that when you know a little bit yeah or at least you assume yeah. you know a little bit right um right anyway yeah that's good so how do you decide to get out to leave the service. Yeah. Okay, so I did 12 years active duty. From my mindset and perspective, I have eight years left and I can collect a full retirement with benefits, medical package, all that stuff, right? My last three years active duty were uh, were great. It could have been rough. So my wife and I had reached this point at about the nine-year mark, something like that, where we were both tired of me just being gone. Um, I'm living the life of adventure, epic adventure. It was awesome at the expense of my children and my wife. I come home from from being gone for four weeks or eight weeks or, or whatever it is, and I'm coming home with all this excitement from being part of whatever it was with whatever country it was that she'll 
never understand or kind of care about. Now she does. But at the time, it's like, welcome home. Life is chaos without you. You know, how do you fit back into our world before you leave in six weeks? You know what I mean? That's not what God called for my home or for my family or for me to father my kids in. And I, I knew that was true. I didn't want to admit it. In the realm of my previous unit of in special operations, um, there's this fear about leaving the team and, and being, <laughs> I don't know how to name it. It's almost maybe cowardice that I step away from the team and from team life and from being a part of that unit. No one's ever said that, but it's there. And as soon as you start talking about leaving, you're almost... I wouldn't say you're an outcast, but sort of. It's kind of the way it's viewed. At least that's how I kind of felt. I was not an outsider at all. I wasn't treated badly or anything like that. But as soon as you've made that decision to leave, it's like, I just quit on my team. And I'm no longer part of the brotherhood. You know what I mean? Um, Which is a lot of identity stuff wrapped in that. But we can go. I mean, that would take another hour to talk about for sure. Uh, And I did suffer from a lot of that identity issue stuff and, and still do to this day. Um, I think we all do with whatever we're doing, whatever label we have, that identity. So my wife and I decide, what are we going to do? We we need a break. Uh, I got to be home. I need to raise my kids. I want to be around. Um, I love being home. I love the adventure of what we were doing as a team, but I'm I'm seeing less value in that and more value in, in just being present at home. My kids are getting older. I'm missing their lives. And so there's this, there's this opportunity you can volunteer to be an instructor, um, whether that's an instructor in selection I told you about or um, various phases of the course. There's a lot of room for instructors. Uh, and it's kind of part of your progression in the unit that I was in to do that anyway. So almost everybody ends up going out to be an instructor for you know three or four years, something like that, whether it's a dive instructor, a sniper instructor, free fall instructor, whatever it is. Um, and so... My wife and I were like, yeah, let's let's do that. Let's get a break. Let's let's volunteer for some instructor time. She wanted to go back out to North Carolina. I would have been an instructor out in the woods. It would have been fun. It would have been great. Uh, but I had something else in mind. So I was on a f- military free fall team. I was doing really high altitude jumping and stuff like that. I had been on that team for about five years. I got really good at it. Um, and it was my passion at the time. It was really cool. God blessed me in it. It was awesome. Something I never thought I could do or would do or ever wanted to do. And so that job would have taken us out to Yuma, Arizona, the armpit of the United States. There is nothing there. <laughs> sorry for all uh, of Yuma listeners. Sorry, Yuma. Um, or one Yuma listener. But Yuma changed our lives, so I owe a lot of our change to Yuma for sure. So you feel like you can call it the armpit because you spent some time there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Heck yeah. Go visit. It's it's where you, okay, there's Phoenix and San Diego. Yuma's right in the middle. It's the place you might stop for gas, and that's about it. There's an In-N-Out burger. Now there's a Chipotle. They're kind of stepping it up a little bit. I only know it because of the old cowboy movies. So. Yeah. Yeah. 310 to Yuma. Right. Um, lots of farmers and retirees. Uh, Mexico, you can see the fence. Uh, California is 15 minutes away. Uh, you're you're right there in that armpit. Uh, Jenna did not want to go to Yuma. We were raised in Arizona. Yuma's hot. Yuma's miserable. There's nothing there. Uh, she was more of the city girl type at the time. Little did she know I volunteered to go to Yuma. Uh, so when we found out we were being stationed in Yuma, she cried. She was in tears. Uh, <laughs> we moved. She was pregnant with our third when we moved out there. And it was summer. It was hot. 
miserable. <laughs> 120 degrees sometimes <sighs> is not uncommon for, for some of the highs. I know you guys were just talking about like hacks and talking about like summer cool offs. And I'm like, it has been a little su- hot here in Colorado, but not, not that, that hot. hot. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. I was just laughing about it. So we decided to go do some instructor time. That was a three year stint. That would be my last three years in the military. Didn't know it at the time. I just thought it was a break and I would go back to being a team guy. So we get out to Yuma and I become an instructor and I'm teaching guys how to jump out of planes. It was awesome. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt every day. No uniform, so far away from the flagpole. It was really cool. Just very relieving, uh, stress-free. I'm home nearly every night. Get to raise my kids. We're really loving life. A year and a half in, Jenna and I are sitting on the couch. She looks at me and she says, we should get out of the military. And I was so pissed. It was that was my identity. That's been everything I spent my life working towards until that point, right? I knew that I had a year and a half left, so that would put me at 12 years. So I'm, I'm deciding on the idea of forfeiting my retirement, of all of my comforts in life, of what I perceive as my future, all those sorts of things. It's kind of like the American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a load of shit, man. And I'm so glad we made the decision we did. I feel like I feel like this this like decade of excavation for me started then. Didn't know what to call it, didn't know what it looked like, but that's when it started for me. And so the next day I knew that my reaction to Jenna was probably not a good one. Uh, and we actually talked about it, sat down, and, and I knew in my heart it was the right thing. I knew in my heart that that's where we needed to go, was to leave the service. So much of me did not want to leave. Uh, again, I, what else was I going to do? Um, so naturally, I start looking into like border patrol jobs or whatever, something that would parallel what I was doing, kind of, or, or somewhat resemble it, maybe police force, something, I don't know. Uh, all the jobs I looked into would have had me gone just as much as I was. So what's the point in even leaving? God was doing a bigger work. Uh, there was strategic people in our lives at that time that were really speaking different things into our lives. It was great. So anyway, we, we decide, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's get out of the service. This is scary as heck. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm leaving really good pay. I'm leaving the, my retirement like package or whatever you want to call it. You know, all of it. Uh, we, we decided to walk away from that. And that was probably the biggest application of faith I've ever had in my life was that choice at, at that time, which would lead to bigger ones in the future. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so epic. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, I agree. There's a you know we there, we've done some interviews, not on this podcast, but that are with guys that ended up you know going into sort of the epic nonprofit world, yeah. and the number of stories that actually <laughs> at this point it's kind of freaking me out that start with like <laughs> uh, my retirement was yeah. on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. the thing yeah. comes. Yeah. That and I can think of two others right now where it's like I was five years, I was two years, I was like and and then all of a sudden it. there was like a diff it just seems it's very like Jesus. Yeah. I love to it. To wait for that moment and then when the stakes are high, yeah, man. go, what is your marriage gonna be about? Yeah. Yeah. I I I I've never spent so many days in tears and on my knees in prayer until that point because of that decision that's led to huge faith walk for us, for my wife and I, for huge growth in our relationship. It's not been easy. It's not been a cakewalk. Heck no. But it's what God's called us to. And you said it, man. It's an epic. It's been an epic adventure ever since. And the more I look back, the more I see how much we wagered and how much more was at risk and at stake. Um, 
But how much more would have been at stake had I stayed in and missed the next eight years of my kids? And I finally try to gain a relationship with them when they're teenagers. Unacceptable. Mm. Unacceptable. Years pass. Yeah. And you were in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not in Yuma anymore. Yeah. Uh, fill, fill in some of that for me. Like, how do you end up from, well, I'm not going to go into other military or police or uh, border. <laughs> I've been like, elite military. I'm yeah, going yeah. to be elite coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, so the way that things worked out was we're in Colorado. We spent about six years here, loved Colorado, fell in love with it, um, and then went to Yuma, Arizona. And that was where we made our decision to get out. Um, so when we came back to Colorado, it was not in a military capacity. It was, it was in where we're, what we're doing now. After that choice, the next probably, I don't know, three, four, five months would be just honestly chaos and and like stress. My wife went through a lot of physical um, stress and and uh, lots of doctor's visits, wondering what's wrong with me. And there's nothing wrong with her. It was just stress over this choice we just made. You know, we weren't used to it. We've never lived this uncomfortably, this this much dependency on the father to really. God, what's going to happen? Who's going to provide? Like the military has paid my my bills for the past 12 years, every single month. I don't worry about a paycheck ever. I know what my promotion looks like. All those comforts were easy and nice. Now, granted, deployments suck and, and there's a level of risk and and, uh, and stress associated with that. So I feel like um, now we're leaving that side of it and now embracing this like new trusting in God for provision. And actually trusting it. It's crazy. Okay, wait. So had, had your wife needed to see a doctor for stress on any of your no. deployments? No. 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 Good Good question. Because no. what you're telling wow. me is you yeah, walking point. away yeah. was more stressful wow. than that. Wow. I never thought of that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For us, for sure. Um, I know a lot of guys that, uh, and, I, and, I, and I, don't, I don't mean to like uh, demean them at all. I just know a lot of guys that wouldn't do it that are stuck in it because it's all they know. Um, my brother's walking through it right now. He's active duty still. He's a warrant officer. Um, he's made the decision to get out finally. I, I'm not advocating for him to leave or stay or whatever, but I mean, he's he's in the regular army. He's a pilot. And when he deploys, it's a year minimum at a time. And he's done several full year deployments to Afghanistan. That doesn't count all the training and everything in between that you're gone for. So I hate seeing him miss his kids' lives too, you know? So, so much of me is just like, bro, just trust. Come on, do this. Uh, and he's getting there. He's getting there. It's crazy because it would be, I think it would be easy to go, oh, man, guys leaving like that whole world of identity, yeah. security, yes. purpose. And, but just to go, I think of just a few years after graduating college, yeah. there was a conversation like with a, a few friends and one of them like, was deep, his thing was he was deep in the sort of um, New York financial world, yeah. and him even being able to verbalize like guys right now, I would love to say no to the money, uh-huh. and every day I feel like my capacity to do so diminishes, yeah. and it like yeah, there's just this pull into this system will reward you, yeah, and oh, yeah. you're built Heck for yeah. reward, and it will reward you. Like, uh, you know, you are built to ma- have mastery. You see the course yeah, of mastery, but totally. there's not the uncertainty that actually is going to define yeah. a life of maturity. Yeah. And like, there's just that risk and, oh, crap, in almost any avenue where those things are being provided to me oh, yeah. of 
security, mastery, reward. Absolutely, man. Then Come the on, question I'm, is, I'm wearing an American flag on my shoulder. I got the entire United States behind me applauding me for what I'm doing, right? Talk so, about like affirmation in those things, but from the wrong place, right? Like I, I never looked for God for those things at the time, maybe a little, but holy cow, I didn't need it. I had the entire country behind me. My Anything you do, this country is so supportive of their military and it's awesome. We should be. But at the same point for me, that's a struggle as I walk away from that. Where's that going to come from now? You know? So I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I battled with for a bit, for a long time. That's good. And, and even to, to kind of even further compliment what you said is like, I don't want to, I didn't want to get to an age where I couldn't walk away to where my time to make those choices and, and have those risks has passed. Uh, I don't know that that's true actually, but, but I'm glad that we made the choice when we did. Um, I mean, I was, uh, 31 years old, I think, when I made the choice to leave the service. A- after we got out, I lived in my brother's basement with my wife and three kids. Talk about freaking humbling, dude. Yeah, you know? So awesome. Like, <laughs> go, I mean. <laughs> okay, okay, hang on. You gotta, you gotta help ease me through this. Yeah, 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 sure. As we think about yeah. our own lives and yeah. changes like this, yeah. I feel the anxiety rising. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> It makes a lot of sense that when you're like stepping away from it, you want to go to something similar, mm-hmm. but then everything similar is Cause it's too similar sure, and it's not going to work. It's right. not actually a change. Right. So you've just taken your etch-a-sketch of identity mm-hmm. and Good. it's blank again. Good. That's right. Now what? I don't know. That, that was, that was, that's, st- that even still rises up a little bit from time to time. When I'm being defeated by something, I still think back to, well, man, if they only knew who I was and what I did. I can't go there. I can't go there. I got to let that go because God's teaching me something different that I, I would say my first, my first, I guess, uh, result of that, of throwing the Etch-A-Sketch away was God answered me in a prayer. He said, you're my son. You're not a green beret. You're not a X, Y, or Z. You're not a, all of these things. You're my son first. That's it. Rest in that for a while. And that helped a ton. Holy cow. It helped a ton. I would have never gotten there had I just stayed in my comforts of where I was before. And thank God for it, man, because it still continues to, to develop and turn into different things. And, and, and to be honest with you, I think it's just inherent in us to do it. Even in the business that we own today, when things aren't going according to plan, I think, well, I guess I ain't who I thought I was in the most recent six months of life, right? And then there it is again. God's like, oh, check yourself on that. Who are you? Who are you? At the core of who you are, who have I told you you are? Um, and so that helps kind of ease some of those identity issues. Uh, sometimes it takes a day. Sometimes it takes a week. Sometimes I'm crushed for a little while about it. But he always gets me back to the, to the foundation and the root. And something great always happens after that, for sure. I love the way you're talking about this because you're you're talking like your job, your career, yeah. is actually more about your identity than your skill set. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's it's what we identify with, right? What if what if you had to leave what you do right now today? Who would you be? Who are you now? You know? Golly, I'm man. I'm living in my that's brother's tough. basement. <laughs> yeah, you might have to. And that's okay. Jokes on you, I don't have a basement. You can live on a second floor. I have a basement. I don't have any teens right now. So I have a basement. You can live there for there sure. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll have you. All right. You moved to Colorado. You decide to start a coffee shop. Okay. Can we have like a highlight reel of... Because starting a business, yeah. you, you don't like wave a wand and and like you know have investment capital you really and do a building. though it comes everything just comes no it does not um 
So, okay, so I was still in Yuma. I was active duty still. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I, I kind of digress a lot and oh, I, I go on You're long. So, um, okay, so, so, oh, man, let me think. Where did it start? I had a I had a sand rail, like a four seat Volkswagen dune buggy that me and the kids would cruise around the desert. And I loved that thing. It was great. I'd drive it to work every day. It was so much fun. So part of the desert living was was a good time. I was really into coffee at the time. I loved coffee. It was just a passion, right? It always been something I did every deployment I had a hand grinder. I'd order fresh coffee from somewhere, or whatever, and I always had a French press. So I was always kinda like grimesy from Black Hawk down, right? Like I was always the guy making good coffee, and people knew that. Um, so, so something in me was inspired by that. Uh, people that that I admired kind of started speaking into that side of of my passions, I guess. And it seemed like one day there was about three different people that mentioned you should do something in coffee. You should do something in coffee, and it was totally different sources. It was crazy, and something I don't know. There's just something weird about it. I prayed through it, and God like started this little flame in me about it. I, I sold the sand rail and I bought an espresso machine and a grinder. I spent like 2,500 bucks on equipment for my house. Number one, you can't find good coffee in Yuma, Arizona. You've got some of the big name name companies. You got Starbucks there, but as far as craft, like specialty coffee, where you're finding phenomenal Ethiopian coffees and fresh crop harvest from Costa Rica, uh, it doesn't exist. So I'm watching a YouTube video on Augie's Coffee, and they're talking about success redefined, and they're they're sharing the story of relationships and coffee producers and growers. And I'm getting inspired by this. I'm like, man, I can still kind of travel a little bit. I could go to these regions and I could meet these farmers. So something was like swelling up, right? I'm thinking, this sounds like fun. This could be like an open door for impact in a community through a good quality product. That's that's kind of the heart of where why we started our business. So I'm like roasting on a little air, a little popcorn popper in the backyard in the summer and just, you know, just exploring coffee. It was fun. So I have the equipment and, and I'm learning it better and I'm, I'm sourcing better coffee beans, uh, again, more just for fun at the time. I'll say that when we finally made the decision to, to pursue coffee, I wrote a list of like 20 things I didn't know how to do. I'm like, all right, God, I know we're getting out and starting a coffee shop is the stupidest thing on the planet. This is dumb. This doesn't make sense. So I wrote out like all this stuff I didn't know how to do. I don't know how to run a business. I don't even want to run a business. I don't I don't know how to do that stuff. I don't really know how to production roast coffee. I don't have a coffee roaster. I don't have the finance. I don't have the finance. I don't have the finance. You know what I mean? And like I'm I'm not kidding you, like 20 things. And so this part of the story is I've forgotten probably more than has happened. I should have wrote it all down, but uh, this is where God really showed up and crushed my heart. It was awesome. I'd, I'd go into my room, my planning room, I call it. I had stuff up on the walls and uh, just this massive planning thing I started doing. And on that wall was this, was all those things I didn't know how to do. And it seemed like every night I'd go in there and I'd pray and I'd usually end up in tears um, <laughs> and, and taking notes. And the next day, God would crush something off that list. It was awesome. Uh, the first one being, I don't know how to run a business. So as I'm scrolling through the internet one night, I'm thinking that somebody surely has to offer like military veteran, like business classes or something. So I kind of Google that boots to business pops up. Sweet. This looks kind of cool. This looks legit. Um, and it's actually a program that the military offers as for, for transitioning veterans, guys that are still active duty, that are getting ready to get out within a one year window. I fit that one year window. And so I looked into it. There's a class being held. It's five hours away, still in Arizona at a different base, five hours away. And it's like next week or something like that. Right. So I approached my unit and I'm like, Hey guys, I'm getting out of the army. Everyone's like, what? 
what what are you talking about? You're too, you're too good at all this. Like, no, you're not leaving the service, right? I was I ended up being supported really well, but I approached my commander. I said, listen, I'm getting out. Um, part of my out processing, I'm entitled to go do some training, and they're offering this training next week. He's like, sweet, you should take the company truck. I'm like, what? You're gonna just let me go, and you're gonna pay me to go. Um, so I ended up getting. They paid for the hotels. They paid for the training. They paid for my travel to get there. And that was where I learned how to start running business. I learned what the Small Business Development Center was. All these things I learned that would start the foundation of our company happened in in that trip. Like, talk about God answering a prayer of, God, I don't know how to run a business. Sweet. Well, here you go. Go learn for a week. Um, On that trip, I didn't own a coffee roaster. Uh, They're expensive. They're very expensive. Um, On that trip, there was... They're as much as a car. Okay. Expensive, right? They're like 40,000... Right, they or, can go anywhere from five to sixty grand, and probably higher. I imagine this is just micro roasting that I'm talking about. I know that bigger companies can have hundreds of thousands of dollars wrapped up in roasters, right? But you're talking massive companies. I'm talking small business. You go to any one of the four big name roasteries in the city, and three, two of them own sixty thousand dollar plus coffee roasting machines. Um, they're beautiful, German made. You know, they're gorgeous, and maybe someday. I'll have that. But so anyways, I'm on this trip, right? I'm learning, learning business. And, and I, I, one of the guys I'd been buying coffee from for about a year is like 30 minutes away. He's in Bisbee, Arizona, um, near Tombstone. So if you've ever seen the movie Tombstone, it's like 25 minutes away from Bis from, from Bisbee. Right. Um, so I drive out there and go visit this roastery. And in the back, there's a coffee roaster. It's the current one I own today. It's sitting in the back corner, not being used. And I just noted that it was there. Um, inquired about it. The guy's like, yeah, I'd love to sell it. So on that trip, I end up buying this coffee roaster too and bringing it home. That coffee roaster ends up being the same exact machine that Augie's Coffee, the one I watched the video about, is roasting on at the time. So I reach out to those guys. Hey guys, can you teach me how to roast? I told them my story. They said, absolutely, come on out, check out what we're doing. And they spent an entire day training me how to roast coffee and teaching me more coffee business stuff. Uh, about six more relationships developed after that. It was like one thing after another, after another, after another. It was like affirmation that God was doing something right. All the stuff that I forget about as I sit here and struggle with stuff today. You know what I mean? But, but it, so it's fun to share this, this part of the story with you guys. Uh, what I identified most with yes, is the on. last thing that you said. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, where, those moments where it's the domino effect of favor. Well, there's so much to, I just... And then you look back and you're like, what happened? There's like a frick, there's a reason the try and got to the Israelites. All right, hmm. write this on your damn doors, okay? <laughs> Start there. Tell your kids. Strap it to your body. Tell your grandkids. <laughs> Don't like you're gonna forget. No, you're forgetting right now as right. I'm talking right. to you. <laughs> right. Tell the story because oh. even Em and I recently have had times of like, or she's actually wisely suggested like, hey, <laughs> evening prayer. Can we b- stop just jumping right in? And let's just start with sort of rehearsing the story of mm. like our last year, where we got and things that yeah. God has done. Because like I'm literally walking around this house that is itself miraculous that was like a yeah. nine month story of Jesus finally coming yeah. through, going like, Oh my gosh, I'm never gonna fix this thing. And going yeah. like besides yeah. the house, but this is the one time you cared about me, Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about all the other times. Yeah, right. Mm. But I just, just going like, oh man, now there are things in front of me, but there's actually this story and in the story, yeah. even the playfulness of God is very visible. Yeah. Yeah. 
you're already gesturing towards all this, but I want to make it explicit (laughs) and go. (laughs) You use the word free fall and airplane, and there are these things that are sound really fun and are obviously high adventure. Sure. Risk, but now you're telling this story Mm -hmm. of like an extraordinary amount of risk. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Where... Like a heart that loves adventure. What is happening to your heart there in this thing that you have yeah. now? Of And or you can just keep going with the story. No, it's good because it's what I'm dealing with now. It's like, I was, I was talking to my wife about this recently. I got to go to boot camp and a lot of this stuff surfaced too, right? Um, about, about living adventure. And I think back to, I mean, it's only been, I've only been out since late 2015. It's not been that long. And I miss, I miss that stuff. I do miss some of those epic adventures. And yes, we're on one for sure. Uh, God has helped to kind of settle that in me a little bit to embrace this adventure that we're in today. But there is still this like, this just being in nature or or exiting an aircraft into just the wind and this this real sense of of danger and and exploration that I don't feel like I've gotten lately. And I really miss that stuff for sure. Um, and it's perhaps why it's there in my heart. It's, it's, it's inherent. It's the way God made me, right? It's the masculine heart coming out and, and seeking and wanting those adventures. But I don't get to have those levels of peaks anymore. I don't get to have those high altitude jumps at night with night vision on watching 12 guys below me, making sure that they make it to the drop zone. Like that's freaking epic. I don't get that anymore. But somehow God is still fulfilling the adventurous side of me through this business and through this journey. Um, even just this week, there's been some challenges going on. And it's like, it's fulfilling that side of me. And God, it, it's only because God is giving me that perspective um, mm. and spending time in prayer for him to fill that for me. Um, obviously, there's still an element of like, I got to get out there. I got to go elk hunting. I can't wait to go elk hunting this year. You know what I mean? So like, those are my adventures that I'm, that I'm, uh, excited for again, but um, so it, it, at times it's a struggle because I don't get those ex- again those extremes of like of adventure and all that and affirmation that this is freaking awesome. Not a lot of people get to do this, and God's got me in this place right now, and I'm soaring above the clouds, watching people below me. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing that can explain that, and I, I forget about that often. But uh, how do you replicate that? How do you how do you revisit that? You don't. You don't ever get to again. I, I don't ever get to do that again. That was a hard thing to swallow for a long time. Um, and perhaps that's why God had me on such an epic adventure to leave the service and put it so much at risk and, and show up to Colorado not having a location for our business and just trusting that, Father, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. We're moving to Colorado. We're just doing this thing. You've showed up so many ways, right? With the coffee roaster, with the training, with with all the stuff. You've you've gotten me the classes and everything I needed. You showed up. I'm gonna apply a mustard seed worth of faith in this thing. And you're gonna show up every time. I know you will. And he has every freaking time. And so maybe that's that's why he's had me on this type of an adventure, showing up and not having any answers when I showed up. I had a third of the finance I needed to start the business. I knew that going in. God, I don't know where the money's going to come from. Like, <laughs> I don't have a location. I have nothing. But I'm trusting you. And if it doesn't work, so what? You've got something else for me. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway, he does end up bringing us an awesome location. We got a spot at Lincoln Center. It's an old elementary school that's been shut down and 
Uh, I couldn't, I could not have asked for, no, I did ask for this actually. I remember praying one night. I said, God, I want something unique that my kids can be present, but not in the way of customers, that we can run a cafe and a roastery, and that my whole family can be involved. If it had been any kind of a corporate space, that would have never worked. But because we're at Lincoln Center, I have two classrooms, two old classrooms, and in the roastery side, it's kind of away from the customer. So my kids do get to be there. My 10-year-old son uh, works every week. I pay him 20 bucks, and he bags all of our coffee. He's happy. He's making 20 bucks a week. He's got like 400 bucks in his savings account now. Um, And we get to be a family, doing a family business together. Um, God answered that prayer in a more unique way than I could have ever seen or asked for, you know? Golly, what did it's, you ask again? Sorry. Okay. Well, I have, I have a comment in response. It's interesting, like, so Sam and I recently were, like, trying to go out and uh, sight in a rifle for this article yeah. before we could got there was a fire ban, and we had to turn around and come back from our shooting spot because yeah. you can't... Don't admit that right. the photos they are didn't. staged. <laughs> Actually, oh we didn't stage any photos of shooting. We staged photos of optics. So that's true. My, okay. con- my conscience is clean. We yes. just what well, the optics aren't sighted in. Everybody, just so you know, of that okay. particular rifle. So all of the all of the data comes actually from my dad's rifle. <laughs> all right. And uh, we're good. You can still read the anthology. What's, but, co- what's the rifle? Sorry. Uh, it's a thirty at six Springfield Sweet. Tika. So that's what I've got. Awesome. Fantastic. Good. Great all-round rifle. I knew I liked Wait, it for some reason. Wait, guys, stay on. Hang on. Come here. Come on. Ooh. Vortex Viper HS. Yeah, the guy did ask what Blaine's most effective range is because the scope is ridiculous. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should have a conversation about long-range shooting because I'm going to be great at it. Because we're all about ethical hunting here. Blaine's not taking pot shots at birds. Right. Right. That's how we justify the expensive scope to our wife anyways. Right. Right. Good job. I'm a bow hunter, everyone. So yeah, I hunt with a rifle like a bow hunter. Right, but your, your point shot. was... <laughs> anyway, I am back on target. So Sam and I are driving Good back, job, Sam. and then Sam sort of turns over in the passenger seat and goes, when do we just be- go become fly fishing guides? And But what he, like, what he actually named it was interesting, is like this, so this thing coming up in me of, but I could feel God doing it, mm-hmm. was this, just this, oh man... I miss being someone that owns a truck and, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> takes off across the southern part of the state. And I, all of, these things are coming to me of like, yeah. you know, my of just like the glories of being, you know, 22. Mm-hmm. And I was actually talking to your employees today who were like, we're about to go take this climbing trip. You should yeah. come. I was like, yeah, you guys should build me a time machine. Yeah, let me just drop <laughs> yeah, everything yeah. right now. Let me just go back before. Explain to you life with it. What they didn't old. tell you is that my wife and I get to cover all their shifts on this little adventure they're getting ready to go on. Yay. Um, I think I kind of intuited that in their expression. <laughs> um, but I was just looking going, and, you know, it's interesting because the first thing for me is like, oh, man, um, Part, you know, that that's just a key place in my heart is fly rods, trucks, sleeping in the back. Yeah. This is real time. And what Jesus has been kind of going is like reminding, telling me like, hey, the stakes are actually your heart mm-hmm. being alive. Mm-hmm. And that I want all of you accessible <laughs> to me all the time. Yeah. And, and and I like, you know, it was just interesting. I'm going like, yeah, this is part of you. And this is like, and I want that place in you yeah. life and him just going I can actually do it yeah. like the part of you that's super grungy and loves adventure and backpacking in ways that you cannot do right now yeah. and you can't do in this decade of your yeah. freaking life yeah. like 
young kids, house, young, all that crap. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And just going like... All that good stuff you meant to say. All that good stuff. Yeah. That's what I meant, obviously. But they're just being this. I'm like, yep, there's a place in my heart there that loves those things. Mm-hmm. And even without them, Jesus wants that place to be alive. Sure, and totally. is like piercing it, pursuing yeah. it, yeah. so that it's available to him. Yeah. Because I'm like... M actually notices even the difference in like playfulness in me when like the part of me that would you know used to love throwing a sleeping bag in the truck yeah. and like taking off yeah, yeah, yeah. is actually like accessible <clears throat> to her. I'm not doing that because right. like actually I'm doing cleaning the house yep. like, but nonetheless there is uh, I don't know a very remarkable holding place for this that sure. I'm exploring right now of like this has to be accessible to you and I need these things yeah. and I can't elk hunt all the time like I would like to because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a season seriously <laughs> considered just poaching um, there you go I know we have it I know the one DOW listener we have and I know that you think about it too so <laughs> I've got a massive muley that walks right behind my house almost every day. He's got the biggest rack and a huge turned down tine on his right side. Every season his rack gets bigger. Oh, he's epic, man. I think I know bow. that mule deer with the turned down with the drop Dude. tine. Yeah, he's he's like <laughs> oh, I'll tell you where I live later, but <laughs> like, um, no, last year so we I'm, might have to do this. I have my last year I'm shooting in the front yard. And then the corner of my eye, up comes this unbelievable, oh. like perfectly symmetrical buck. Who comes along like you know four points inside, but with these great eye, these big eye guards yeah. like, and he literally walks in front of the target I'm shooting at, Come on. and just looks at me for Come a minute, on. and like it was just like this is yeah. unreal. Yeah, and the next talk day, about the father's playfulness. Right. Come on. The next day I went down to the Division of Wildlife to be like, hey, are there any uh five eleven over the counter archery tags? And they're like, no. And I was like, dang it, I was gonna mm. chase that guy up into mm-hmm. the woods. And, mm-hmm. But it didn't funny. happen. That's good. I think that even as we don't get to just throw the backpack in the back of the truck and go fishing or hunting, whatever the heck we want, it makes the times that we do get to go even that much more valuable. I was just texting you about the time that this season, my dad's coming out from Arizona. My brother's coming out from Texas. He just got back from a nine-month deployment. And it's going to be great time together. It's it's almost retreat time for us to just spend time drinking beers and talking and catching up and all that. Um, as much as it is this epic pursuing a wild animal um, thing, but it's even that much more valuable because I because I don't get to do it very often, or at least that's what I have to uh, have to get to. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Me and the kids, we make our own adventure. I've got I've got three logs turned down on their face towards us in the backyard, and I I take them all out back, and we throw throwing knives and. And I ordered a tomahawk the other day because it's awesome to see my five-year-old out there trying to chuck a tomahawk over and over and over again. He'll never reach it at five. But he keeps trying, he keeps trying, he keeps trying. And then he picks up the throwing knives and like probably one out of six, he'll nail that sucker and he's so proud of himself. And that's our little adventure. You know what I mean? It's awesome. It's so good. Even my daughter comes out there and tries her hand at the old hatchet. Which is something you might not have gotten had you not been on this wild adventure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know we're winding down. I have at least one thing that I need to know though and it's why is your coffee shop called Building 3? Yeah, good question. Um, back when we decided to get out of the service, the heart behind that was um, 
I was just gone from our three kids too much. Um, and so we wanted to build a business worthy of handing down to our three kids. Whether they ever take it over or not, that's not the idea. The idea is is building something that we can put our name on that's worth handing down to our three kids. So building something for our three, building three. Yeah. Um, for me and her also, it's a little bit more the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, also, we roast, serve, and source our own coffee. So there's kind of these like three elements of three within within the name. But really, it's spurred from the heart of pursuing something bigger and for the sake of our kids and our family, ultimately. <laughs>